Good evening, everyone. We're continuing the uh, Path to the Just series. Last week, we stopped in the middle of chapter 11. We are in Midat Anekiyut. Uh, it's the chapter of uh, cleaning, clean person, clean hands, clean mind, clean heart. The obligation of a Jew to be clean all the time which also applies to goyim. Goy also not allowed to steal, not allowed to cheat, certain things that the Jews are not allowed, the goyim also not allowed. And as a matter of fact, a goy that steals is subject to a bigger punishment than a Jew. They don't have that many commandments, but on the commandments that they have, the punishments are more severe, the very serious punishments, and also reward. But there's not that much to do, but each one has a very heavy weight. Uh, so we finished, if you remember, just to, uh, refresh your memory, there's a restriction in the Torah. No, no one is allowed to cheat each other, to deceive each other, not to deceive or cheat the goyim. And uh, I started to read uh, the verse from the prophet Sfania, chapter 3, verse, uh, verse 13, that the Jews who would be left in the time of the Messiah will be 100% clean. Who is going to stay? Who's going to really be? It's important, of course, to keep Shabbat, to eat kosher, to be modest, to learn Torah. We all know that. But if a person would stay a crook, and everything in his life is cheating, lying, tricking, forging, uh, misleading, and you know all these problems that people have, and most people have this problem, most in the world, most people, some people are naturally honest. These kind of people don't deserve a big reward for it because they're born like that. They don't have the urge, the desire to be crooks or to steal. Jews or non-Jews, some people born naturally honest since they're little kids. I see, I look at the kids, I see one little candy, look for you 10 minutes if he is allowed to take from the draw. You see right away, this is a soul that came from a previous life already clean. He cleans his uh, bed meat, he doesn't have desire to steal. But then you see kids, since they're little ones, they look around and they take whatever they see. And they, you know, they don't have problem. He can open his red, his red drawer and take from their candies or anything he wants. Right? Or they lie, well, what did you do, who did it, they never say me. So they, they have problems with their integrity, with their honesty. So uh, also the prophet said, Fania, She'erit Israel. She'erit means the one who will be left. Those who will survive, lo yasu avla. From that moment on, they will not do anything deceiving. No misleading, no cheating. All of it fall into the word avla, avel. And veloyed abru kazav will not be liars. It goes together. Stealing and, and lying usually goes together. It's like a husband and wife. Usually people first steal and then they have to lie to, put, you know, to create themselves an alibi. Uh, you know, sometimes uh, lying causing theft after, but most of the time it's first stealing and then the cover-up, which is lying, and one lie leads to another. It starts with small lies and then a person, can, he, he doesn't even remember what was really reality. Some people are used to lie so much that they already believe their lies. 
a month later he speaks to them, he already described what happened and he really believes, he can hypnotize him, he's going to tell you the same story because he repeated that lie so many times, it's already in his conscious like it really happened. It's very interesting. So it says like this, will not speak false talking, will not deceive, will not cheat, will not mislead, will not lie, anything that falls into this category and the time that the world will be clean from all the wicked people, the people, the Jews, the leftover from Israel that would remain, I assure you, God says, nobody will be lying, deceiving, lying, cheating, none of these things. It's going to be a clean world. You're not going to be afraid to leave your stuff, you can leave your diamonds outside in the front yard. Nobody will touch. The world will be 100% perfect. The Gemara says, Baba Metzia, page Samech, page 60, En mefarkesim et akelim haishanim shirau kechadashim. You're not allowed to take something used and put what we do today, some glaze on it, or shine it, or pretend that it's brand new. You know, like sometimes a product comes back to the store, and they replace the plastic from the outside that they want, or the glass that they won't be scratchy, and they put a sticker, a clear sticker, and it looks like brand new, and they resell it as brand new. This is a sin from the Torah, and I'm allowed to do it even to a goy. Not allowed. Over here, it's talking about things that you sell, all kinds of utensils, and you pretend that they are new. Same thing in a, in a fruit store. What do they do? They put all the nice fruit on top of the pile and all the rotten ones in the, in the bottom. So when you grab with the spoon or something, you take the bad with the good, and that's deceiving the people, cheating them. You're not allowed to do this also. Okay, so someone who does it is thinking, what did I do? Big deal. Ah, Two dollars, I tricked him. So big deal. He's not going to hate me for it. He may not, but Hashem will. Why? To avat Hashem kol ele, kol ose ele. It's despicable in the eyes of Hashem, everyone who does those tricks. And you know, many people grew nice beard when they became religious and bought a nice $200 sombrero. And they even dressed like rabbi, some of them, even though they don't know how to read Rashi. People think, ah, Two months is religious, already have a beard all the way to the floor. Things is a rabbi. He comes to his family, everyone, rabbi, rabbi. See his beard, his hat. So everyone calls him a rabbi. In reality, he doesn't know two halachot bechlal. You know? So uh, sometimes you come two, three years later, everything is usual in business. Still cheating, still lying, still taking advantage in an electronic store in Manhattan on the French tourist or the Chinese tourist that comes to buy a camera and he says there's a special infrared uh, lens, you know, in, at night, it's now two o'clock in the afternoon, so the tourist buys it now, he's gonna leave Manhattan. So he thinks when he goes to France, he's gonna see in the night like he see during the day. And this lens costs them two dollars. It's fake, it's not real. And they sell it for extra eight hundred dollars. You know, killers. And then the, this tourist, by the time he finds out in, in the French, he calls with his broken English. Nobody pays attention to him. What is he going to do? Take a plane back to the United States and, and argue for the lens? And they do all these tricks. 
And they think, oh, I'm doubling my business with all these tricks, right? Yeah, you double your business, and the, the depth of your hell will also be double. You're making it deeper, much deeper by the minute. Because all these tricks eventually will come in your trial, and you're going to have to deal with one after the other. Okay? So it's better to become a real believer. Someone who does all these despicable tricks, he has five names in the Torah. One, Aval. Aval is doing Avel. Second, Sanui, hated. Third, Meshukatz. Meshukatz is like a worm on the floor, like, like garbage. Uh, fifth one, fourth one, Cherem. Cherem is something like you put on a band, isolated. And Toeva, despicable. You name which one of the five is worst. All of them are bad. So this is a person who does tricks. Kol HaGozelet Chavero, the Gemara in Baba Kama, Kuf Yutet, page 119, the Gemara say, Kol HaGozelet Chavero, someone who steals from his friend, Afilu Shve Pruta, even today a nickel. Nickel is a pruta today, five cents, right? Who cares about a nickel? Most of most people don't care, but well, some people do care. It's like stealing a part of his soul from him, his life, right? The Gemara in Masechet Ta'anit said the rain stops because of stealing. The more people steal, the less rain we get. I guess this year people stole less in Israel. <laughs> 20 years there was no rain. Maybe they realize already it doesn't pay to steal. And this year, a lot of rain, Baruch Hashem. Storms, rain, amazing. I was in Israel six days, every day it rained. Everywhere I went, Tel Aviv, Yerushalayim, the north, it rained everywhere. I don't remember in Israel six days rain. You know, it's very, very, very rare. So. It says like this, Kupa avonot, a person has a box full of sins. The one who jump on top of everyone is stealing. Stealing. And Dora uh, Mabul, the generation of the flood 4,200 years ago, God cleaned the world from all the wicked people and left eight. Noah and his wife, his three sons, and their wives. That's it. The world restarted. But up to then, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah was similar to what we have today, Manhattan, Queens, Brooklyn, Staten Island, uh, Bronx. It was also five cities of wicked people. Sodom and Gomorrah was only two of them, there were three others. And that's where all the business was. That's where all the problems with modesty, all the, the shows, Broadway, the circus, the market, the stock market, the pools, the, 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 the all kinds of things. It's horrible what used to be over there. And the laws were all anti-God, all against justice, everything. And what happened over there? They got all burned from fire who fell on their head. And what really decided in Shamaim that they're going to get killed? They had horrible sins with some of the scenes, you are guilty with execution, but they were not executed yet. Once they they stole so much that they already crossed any line that you can imagine, God said, up to here, I cannot stand this anymore, and cleaned them all. So really what killed them was the stealing, even though they made much worse sins, much worse sins than stealing. 
But stealing was the thing. In Hebrew, we say it's like the cash shavar et gava gamal. You have a camel, you put a huge pile of straw on him. How much a straw weight? One gram? Nothing. You hold the straw, you don't even feel you have a straw. So you put, put, put. Then you put one extra one, the camel collapses. There's a point that he cannot hold the weight anymore. So you say, what? Another straw made the camel fall? It's not that straw, it's everything together. So that's what happened. Now why, why stealing made them all pay the price? The answer is because when a person is honest, he makes a lot of sins, but he's, uh, he's, uh, he's, not, you know, he's not stealing. So when God wants to warn him from his sins, he first gives him a sickness, he gives him some accident, problem, thank you, problem, his body, everything, right? But if the property, it's not his, if his money is not his, it goes right away on his body. It doesn't go on his car, because he doesn't own it, he stole it. So basically, if you don't own what you have, if it's all cheating and stealing, right, what happened in the end? You pay a very heavy price, because there's no warning. No warning. The warning, it's only a car damage. The car total. I tell you something interesting. You know, I was in, uh, in Englewood for Shabbat. I had a Shabbaton. So there was one rabbi from Israel. And uh, he's a big collector of tzedakah. He gives money to hundreds of poor families in Israel. He has like a gmach. They give food. They help them get married. All kinds of things. Full of activities. Yeah, 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 full of activities. So he told me a story. Since he's collecting, he goes to all over the world, Panama, Brazil, Mexico, United States, all kinds of places he goes to collect. And he established himself a list of wealthy people who has good heart, and they donate for the poor people. So he went to one Syrian guy in Mexico. Syrian, there's many wealthy Syrians in Mexico that lives there and they have very big businesses over there, international big businesses. So a guy is a gold trader, he trades gold. So he has a big safe full of gold inside and cash, bundles of cash. And he said to him, now Pesach is coming, I have to get so much money to give all this food for the poor people, help me out. He said, how much you want, Rabbi? He said, what do you think you can get? He said, I'll give you 26,000. So no problem. He took 26,000 from the safe, cash, put it in a bag, gave it to him. He went to Israel, he bought all the food, everything fine. Then after a month, he went again to Mexico, and they asked him on Shabbat in shul, hundreds of people there, to speak. While he was speaking, he spoke about tzedakah. And guess what happened? In front of everyone, that person that gave him a month ago $26,000, got up and he said, Rabbi, I disagree with you. I disagree with you. He said, well, what happened? He said, I gave you a month ago $26,000. And you know what happened an hour after you left? Few Mexican robbers came with guns, with masks, and robbed my entire safe, million dollar in gold and cash, they stole. This was Hashem's thank you to my great deed that I did for you and the poor people in Israel. And an hour later, I got clean from all my safe. No, so why are you saying tzedakah, 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 so much, the Torah, tzedakah, 
What is this? You should have given more. No, so now the question is, why do you answer a person like this? It's really not a question. Everything in life is a test. If Hashem promised, that's it, he promised. Even though Hashem told you, I promise you this, and you see the opposite, you don't ask questions. Hashem is not a member in the Knesset. You gotta get it to your head. If Hashem promised, it will happen. Just the timing may be confusing, but it's guaranteed to happen, that's it. If you don't trust God, who are you gonna trust? That's it, then the world is over. If you can't trust the word of God. So he said to him, why don't we talk about it right after the lecture? I'll explain it to you. They want to start arguing with me in front of everyone. But he said, I didn't know where to hide. You know, the embarrassment was great. I'm talking to them about the importance of zakat. This guy, like a fool, get up and say what he said. So a few days later, still in Mexico, he's in the middle of Mincha, praying Mincha. In the middle of Shmonaisre, he feels someone tapped him like this on his shoulder from the back. From the excitement, he couldn't wait until he finished at Filach Monastery, not disturbing someone. But he was so excited. So he started to talk to him. He said, Rabbi, you're not going to believe what happened. When the robbery happened, I called the insurer and they told me, no, you don't have a case, this and that. All of a sudden, they approved my case. I don't know how. Two and a half million dollars he got. <laughs> value of one. Two and a half million, he was insured for that amount, for the safe. Two and a half million he got. So he really lost a million, he got two and a half. <laughs> so, so he said, you see, the first part, your complaint, 800 people heard. This, maybe eight people heard. The damage is done already. This is when we don't have emuna. You understand what's happened? Just because right now the situation looks bad doesn't mean it's really bad. That's the point. So uh, the Ramchal continue. It says many people will be Hasidim in many different things. Hasid means above righteous. Righteous is righteous. Everybody understand. Hasid means more than what Hashem requires. More. Hashem says someone stole from you. You're allowed to sue him. Say. Enjoy. Ah, uh, no hard feelings. You stole, you stole. I'm, mo I'm mochel. I forgive you. He's not obligated. He can demand what he has. But it's already everything by him. Okay, I forgive you. No problem. Forgive me. He's right, but he apologizes. Someone is thinking that you did something wrong to him. You know it's not the case. Why do you care? Okay, I apologize. I apologize. So let's call a chassid. Shabbat, he has to keep until a certain point. He wait an extra half an hour. Hashem uh, said to put yamaka. He put yamaka and another hat on top all the time. If he doesn't have his hat, he put his hand like this. Two yamaka, one and two. Everything extra by him. Hashem said you have to pray shachrit. Can pray seven. Can pray seven thirty-eight. No, no, five o'clock already. As soon as he sees some light, he's in the shul. You understand? He doesn't have mikveh in the place. Let's say he went to some place, there's no mikveh. He's going to go, ask the person, drive me to the ocean, freezing, that. Not to miss one day mikveh. That's called chassid. There's all kinds of different chassidim. Some people chassidim with money. Some people with mikveh. Some people with, with prayer. Some people with the way they dress. There's all kinds of chassidut. So the Ramchal say, many people, it chassidu. There will be chassidim. In many different fields, 
But when it comes to money, very difficult for them. Not only to be chassid, even to be clean. Very difficult for them. Ta'avat betza. Ta'avat betza, interest, interest in money, in, in all kinds of cheating, deceiving, is very difficult for them. You understand? And one more thing. Amar HaKadosh Baruch One more thing. There's another problem now. The Gemara say almost everyone has a problem with money issues. Honesty, integrity, clean hands. Almost everybody. Almost everyone. Most people, not everyone, but very large amount of people have problem with their modesty. Women looking at them, talking to them, making scenes with them, all kinds of things. Amar HaKadosh Baruch Hu, God says, Al tomar oil v'asur li lishtamesh b'isha, since I'm not allowed to make a scene with a woman, unless I marry her, areni tofsa v'en li avon. Al one time, once in a while, it's no big deal. Areni megafefa v'en li avon. I'll hug her a little bit, it's no big deal. What is the big deal? Ma, 20, 30 years I was okay, didn't make any scene. So I asked the woman, what happened? We went on a date, things went out of control. No big deal. I'm sure Hashem understand me, no? Oh, I'll kiss her. I give her one kiss here and there. What's going to be? Amar HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Hashem says, Keshem she'im nadar nazir shelo lishtot yayin, the same way if a monk made a vow that he will not drink wine, also, he's not allowed to eat grapes, raisins, nothing that connects to the grape tree. He only said, I'm not going to eat any grapes. I'm not going to drink wine. Now he's not allowed grapes, he's not allowed raisins, he's not allowed the seed, he's not allowed the oil that they make from the seed, anything that comes from the tree of the grape. Same thing a woman, even though the main scene is actual, uh, actual relation, but everything else, such as hugging, kissing, shaking hands, touching each other, looking at each other, even looking at her fingers to enjoy from the beauty of her fingers, everything, every one of them is a very, very, very severe sin. Very severe sin. So what's the problem? I'll tell you what's the problem. A person, let's say, got to a very old age. You name what all today. It can be 40, it can be 50, it can be 60. Depend, depend. And it's very hard for him. He's religious from birth. How many years he can live without a woman? It's very difficult. So he's thinking to himself, what am I going to do? I didn't find the right woman for myself. I didn't find a righteous woman. I didn't find anything like that. So what am I going to do? To make sins, I'm not allowed. So it's horrible sins, serious punishments. So what am I going to do? Find a woman like that, that didn't find any men. Most likely in this age, it's very hard to find the right thing. Get married just to have physical relationship. So no, there's no love. But it's not a sin. You make a deshota. It's not a sin. You sanctify. You don't need a wedding, an orchestra. You come to the rabbi. So I want to leave, but I don't want to make scenes. So I want to make her my wife. For what? Three months? One year? That's it. It's not a scene. Sometimes I meet boyfriend and girlfriend that already Shomer Shabbat. They're becoming religious, and they live together. And I say to them, you have two choices. One right away, you must separate immediately. 
Sometimes they say we can afford to rent, we can't, we can't be with each, without each other, we don't have where to go, all kinds of excuses. So what is the answer? So come with me to the rabbi tomorrow morning. We'll marry you, two witnesses. Nobody has to know. We marry you quickly. Don't need anything, any party. One day you want to really marry for the family, you make a party, fine. Get married, it won't be a sin. Two months later, you don't want each other, you come to the rabbi, you arrange the get, you give her the get, finished. A person can marry 10 times in his life and live with this woman one year and with this one and with this one. None of it was a sin. The opposite, Hashem appreciates him very much. What's, what, what do you mean appreciate him? That he went out of his way not to live in a sin. If you feel you're strong not to make sins, better not to do all these tricks. But if you feel that you're about to make sins, better to get married even without love, just not to make sins. Make it kosher, one day you want to cut, you cut, finish. We are talking about people who basically lost hope already. You know, they tried 20, 30 years and it just didn't work for them. And they say, you know what, sometimes people want to have children. They can find a woman that maybe got divorced already, she has her own kids, and make an agreement with her that I'll marry you and we can have kids because I want to make mitzvah, pru you know, so I'll support, I'll pay, I'll pay for your kids, I'll pay for your rent, whatever. Well, fine, we're not in love with each other. Many, many couples got married and they're not in love with each other, but they live okay, they raise children. Of course, the ultimate, the ideal marriage is with love, with, uh, with passion, with everything. But if you couldn't have it for whatever reason, what's better? What's the other, to make sins? For sure not, and especially that it's very, for the men, it's very, very serious sin. A woman can die lonely all her life without touching a man all her life. It's not a sin for her. She's not obligated to have kids. Every woman wants kids, obviously. She didn't have kids. She comes to her trial. Hashem doesn't ask her why he didn't get married, why he didn't want to have kids. Why? She's not obligated to have provo. But a man is obligated. And now he comes to Hashem. And Hashem said, listen, why you never got married in your life? So he's going to say, Hashem, you're blaming me? It's your fault. What do you want from me? What? I went on 500 dates. It didn't work out. Why don't you know my misery, my suffering? I didn't want to get married. What do you think? You know, you never helped me. So maybe he's right. Most of the time he will be wrong. Why? Hashem will go over his dates and will show him few of them was good for him. Why he didn't want her? Her nose was a little bit not straight. Stupid things. Family wasn't rich enough. Her education, she only had one degree. If you hear the nonsense that I hear, you pull your hair off. Why people never got married? Crazy. And most of the time, it's their parents' fault. Most of the time, it's their parents' fault. Sometimes the parents make such damage to their children since they're young. They destroy them mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. They destroy them. They don't leave a, nothing, no chance for them in their life. These parents are worse than murderers. And why the parents did it? Because they think they know everything. No, you're not going to marry him. Why? It's not from our uh, culture. Uh, we don't like his family. His family doesn't have 10 buildings in Manhattan. They only have two buildings. It's not enough. You know, it's not our standard. 
We are from the city. They are from the villages. Don't embarrass us. He doesn't have a degree. He doesn't have a house and two cars yet. We don't like the diamond he wants. Cancel the wedding. Ay, 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 what tragedy. And some of these kids don't have the guts to go against their parents because they're very dependable. They depend on the credit card. They depend on the car. They depend on pay, they paying for the college. So they're afraid to be lonely. They got used to someone pay all their bills. Now what's going to happen? You're going to leave me alone. I'm going to go with this guy. He doesn't have a penny. My father is right. I'm going to left with nothing. So up to now, my parents did everything for me. What am I going to do? I'm going to go against them. So this kind of thinking, it's kfira. What about God? Does not exist? He cannot feed you. You need your father to go to 47th Street and give you $1,000 a month. For that, you need him. What about your real father that feed your own father? He feed him to give you. What do you think? He cannot give you directly. He needs him. So there's no emuna, and they don't get married. And in the end, they stay single for the rest of their life. So when I say people destroy their, parents, their kids, sometimes these kids are not guilty when they come to Shamayim. Their life is messed up, drugs, depression, pills, all kinds of things. And it's 100% their parents' fault. They abuse them verbally, physically, all kinds of abuse, and they destroy them. They come to Shamayim, say, you're lucky. We're not holding almost anything against you. Every sin you made is your father's fault. He is going to pay for it. Why? This is what they did. Now let me give you an example of what I mean. In this last parasha, Parashat Mishpatim, we had a, a law, if an axe of a person hits another person with his horns, if this axe, this axe has a record, that he already banged three other uh, axes or cows, or he already has a record of a dangerous, which means people came to the to owner of the axe and told him, your axe is dangerous. I just saw him banging a cow. And then two weeks later, your axe is dangerous, you just hit another cow. And then again, three times, it's already certainty, chazaka. And he continued to leave him alone, and next thing he hit a person and killed him. So now, if he had no record, you know, so this is called short term. If he make damages, you pay half a damage. If he has a record and he killed a cow, you have to pay full price. What happens if he kills a man or a woman? You have to pay ransom, kofir. You have to pay. Why? You, you are supposed to be killed. The Torah says, the, the owner has to be, get killed. But instead of killing the owner of these axe, he's going to have to pay for the death of that person. But it's not compensation, like most people think. It's to redeem my soul from death. It's to save me, not him. I'm paying, really, because I was supposed to get killed. So over here, it's very unique that Hashem allowed to replace death with money. So the Gemara asks, what happens if it's an ox of the stadium, like in Spain, you know, with, this, with the red thing? They go, and all, since they're born, they drive them crazy all the time, you know, they do all kinds of things to them. Mentally, they destroy them. And they are like murderers, these axes. They see red, they go, they're, they're ready to kill. You see how they go wild? Somebody like that, an ax like that. Is he guilty if he killed a person? No. The answer is no. 
not only is not guilty, the Rambam writes, is kosher for the altar, kosher la mizbeach. Very, very strange, a murderer like this, wild beast like this, you want to sacrifice to Hashem? Who wants to sacrifice a murderer? In that case, sacrifice a tiger, a lion. Why are not allowed? Because a lion and a tiger, it's their nature. They, that's their nature. They are murderer and they were like this all their life. Over here, someone made him a murderer. It's not his fault, which means he has to bang with his own wish, not that someone made him do it. And the same thing over here with people. If by animals is like this, it's needless to say by people. Animal doesn't have free choice. But by people, if the parents abuse him so much and destroy him mentally, and then one day he went and killed, he comes to Shamaim and Hashem says, leave him alone. It's his father's fault, it's his mother's fault. It's their fault. A part of this abuse is sending them to public school. Sending them to public school and they see all kinds of uh, abuse from the people. You Jew, this, what's this, what's this yamaka? They don't want to pay for yeshiva. So they're sending him, but it's Shomer Shabbat, the boy. He comes from Shomer Shabbat family and they destroyed him. I knew a few Persian kids like this. They came from Iran, the parents couldn't afford. He sent them in New Jersey to some school, two of them completely mentally ill. And they told me, you know why we like this? Because we, got so, we were abused so much by the Christian kids in a school, in a public school in New Jersey, destroyed us mentally. One of them became bipolar, the other one is on medication, destroyed their life. One of them has a sickness that he goes to the mikveh, he goes, he comes out of the mikveh, comes out of the water, he dries himself, he is about to get dressed, he goes back into the mikveh, 300 times. If you're not pulling him out of the mikveh, he's gonna go in and out, get dry, go in and out 300 times. Some disorder that he has to feel, that he has to do it again and again. And everything, he's like he's, he wants to pray something, so he, no, it wasn't good enough. So he has to read again, to read, to read, to read. It, it destroyed them mentally. And this is all from the abuse that they got in public school. This is just an example how far, how far it can go. But not necessarily public school. All kinds of abuse that we were we aware of. So the Ramchal continue. It says like this. When it comes to forbidden relation, so this is the level. Maaseh actual act, then seeing, seeing things that you're not allowed to look, then speaking not clean language between men and women, and then hearing and then thinking. That's the level. So obviously the worst is the actual sin. If they didn't go that far, but they looked at each other not modest, that's a second degree murder. And then talking on the phone without seeing each other, or talking behind the wall, or talking from far away. So that's a third degree murder. And the fourth one is hearing, just hearing a girl speaking not modest. And the, four, and the fifth one, thinking of each other, not clean thoughts. Every one of them is a very serious sin. And a person cannot think and say, I didn't know it's so bad. 
because the Torah is full of warnings. And uh, the Torah says in Masechet Brachot, page 61, Yad leyad lo inakera. Someone who gives money to a woman in a business, let's say she sells something in a market, and the only reason he came to buy from her is because he wanted to look at her hand when she reached her hand. Today you think, what normal person wants to go and look at the, at the hand of a woman? What is normal? Because today the world is full of naked ladies. Everywhere you go, so nobody gets excited anymore for the hand of a woman. But 2,000 years ago, there was not one woman in the world that dared to show her body. The maximum you can see is from here to the elbow. So that was already a very big deal. The teenagers, that their evil inclination is boiling, if they saw a woman like this, that pick up her, uh, her dress a little bit to the elbow, they call each other to make scenes. Come, come. You, you see this woman. Why? Wow, they look at their hands. That's how the world was. Today, <laughs> a hand of a woman. You know? Sounds crazy. I know. It's just, uh, we have to cry when we read it. That nobody is even aware how, how deep we got. Nobody is aware. So the Torah says, You have to be careful from everything bad. Do not look at any woman, even if she's single. You're only allowed, if you go on an official date, to look at her once to see if you love her, she's nice in your eyes or no. That's it, you don't focus on her. When she be your wife, you look at her all day, no problem. Now, now it's no problem. She's, she's yours, she's allowed. Now you go on a date, you look at her, pretty enough, make sure it's a place with light. If she insists to go to a dark the diner or something, something is fishy here. Go to a place that is light, you can see her clear, that you don't say, I didn't see good. You understand? And that's it. If it's a married woman, even old and ugly, very ugly, and you look at her, it's a sin. A woman of another man. If it's a single girl, very ugly, and you look at her accidentally, and you look and you even stare, because you are thinking to yourself, what an ugly girl, it's not a big sin. It's not a big sin because you don't have any desire for her. The opposite, you're disgusted. Or the other way around. But it's not the way of a holy person to look at any girl, pretty, ugly, whatever. So the Ramchal say, Single one, na'a. Pnuya, na'a. Married one, even ugly. What? She's three times my age. I'm 20, she's 60. What? We've seen people do sins like this also. The world is full of crazy things. And hearing, not allowed to hear music with a woman that you know her image. If you don't know how she look, somebody gave you a tape and you heard a song and there's a woman there, but you, don't, you never saw her. You don't have anything to imagine. Just hear a, wo a woman sing. And the words are not dirty words such as, I love you, I miss you, all this nonsense that they sing non-stop, the, the same song in, in millions of versions, variations, whatever. So if it's a, some kind of holy song, dear God, the world is beautiful, this, that, when the Mashiach will come, Ashrenu matov chelkeinu, 
but you don't know how she looks. Not recommended, but it's not an official scene. If you know how she looks, it's enough one second you saw who she is, or you see her on the cover of the CD, not allowed to listen anymore. Every second it's a scene. Why? When a woman sings and you know how she looks, you're thinking about her not modest. You can't avoid it. You can't avoid it, that's it. You're going to be able to avoid it once, nine other times you fail. But you don't have who to imagine, so you don't know who to imagine, so the scene doesn't start. Then, the Gemara continue listening to not modest words, all kinds of things like this. Also a very big scene. And, לא יראה בך ערוות דבר, ערוות דבר it's ערוות דיבור, dirty talking, dirty language, dirty jokes, it's a very common thing today, dirty stand-up comedy, dirty movies, you know, all kinds of things like this. Because of all this dirty, dirty, dirty that I mentioned, this is the Gemara in Masechet Shabbat, page 33. Ba'avon nivlut peh, because of that scene of dirty language, one tragedy after the other comes on the nation of Israel. And so many young guys and girls are dying because of that. Someone who speaks dirty, his hell become much worse than what it was before. The Gemara say, "Akol yodim kala lama nichneset lachupa." Aval amenabel pive omro afilu gzar shel shivim shana letova ofchim lo leraa. Translation: Everyone knows tonight when the young guy and the young girls are anxious to get married, what's on their mind? After many years, they waited for that moment. Everybody knows. So to know it is one thing. But to talk about it, it's already a very big scene. Why? We are divine nation. There's no room for one little tiny mistake. We are not animals. And also we are not the goyim. Certain things the goyim allowed, we're not allowed. You are a representative of the holy God. Get it to your head. That's it. You're already in this position. You understand? Some kids... Their parents passed away young, and they inherited to them a huge empire. They didn't plan, age 22, to be a CEO of a multi-billion company. But that's it. If they don't take it, it's going to go down the tube. The responsibility was thrown at you, just like uh, Sava, Moshe Sava from Mexico, the billionaire businessman, died in a helicopter crash with his wife. And his son, 22 years old, was in yeshiva in Yerushalayim, was called to run the empire. It's billions of dollars empire. The 22 years old is running the show now. Of course, he has assistant, all kinds of advisors. He, he didn't plan. He was planning to learn a few more years. He just got married. He's very a little kid. What does he know from his life? That's it. What is he going to say? Ah! Give it away. I don't care about the empire. I have two, three million dollars in my account. I don't care. Let all the empire go to the garbage. I want to continue. One person did it in the Gemara. One did it. Same thing happened. His father inherited him 
רבי אלעזר בן חרסום, his name. His father חרסום left him 1,000 cities full of businesses, bridges, roads, and 1,000 boats full of merchandise in the ocean. Big. Tycoon. He took a bag full of flour, some money with him, and he went away to learn Torah, and he didn't care about all the, the estate. On the way, the soldiers stopped him. Come, come, we need you. What? We're making a road here. We're making a road, come help us. Now he owns the whole city. They don't know who he is. They see a man like this walking away, away with a bag. The rich people don't walk away. They have servants. Take them on a carriage. Say, come, come help us. He could have said, here, I am Rabbi Elazar, the son of the owner of the city. Get out of here before I, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do to you. Get out of here. Nothing. He said to the guy, come, come, let me bribe you. Let me go. I'm in a rush. Gave him some of the money and went to learn Torah. The Gemara say, every wealthy Jew that died, when he comes in front of Hashem, Hashem says, why well, he didn't learn Torah every day? So he's going to say, Hashem, how can I learn Torah? I own insurance company. I own real estate company, I own jewelry company, I own a baseball team, I own this, I own that, I own the hospital, meeting, board meeting. Didn't you see I work from 7 o'clock to 12 o'clock? I didn't have time to eat. Look at me how skinny I am. I was so involved with the businesses, it's a big responsibility. After he finished his speech, the Gemara said, Hashem will show him this Rabbi Elazar ben Kharsom. Say, so you're richer than him? A thousand CDs? No, I didn't get that far. Meyer, Meyer, take care of him. You're not going to have what to answer. See Rabbi Lazar ben Kharsom, what he left to learn Torah? There's nothing to answer after that. Here, today, I have one uh, Gentile, not from the United States. She started to watch the lectures. She decided to convert. She started officially her conversion. So and then there's a Jewish woman who sent her to me in first place. She called me up on Friday, 4 o'clock, before Shabbat. She said, you're not going to believe what's happening with this convert. She's on the way to be a convert. She already covered her hair. She's single. She's in her 20s. She covered her hair like a married woman. So I said to her, but you have to explain to her that she, she's not supposed to do it, only after she gets married. She said, I told her, but she said, I want to be my extra modest. Why not? So if you say, if you tell her, it's going to work out. If I tell her, it won't work out. So today I told her. Today I told her, don't go above your level. Don't, uh, don't jump too high. Because you jump fast and high, you collapse in the end. Focus on the right things right now. There's much more things now to do before to do this Khumra. But really the truth is, and the women don't know it, that really every woman that is not a virgin must cover her hair. From the minute she was with a man, even she's not married, could be 16, 17, from that moment, from the Torah, she's obligated to cover her hair. Even she's not married, even she's only going to get married 10 years later. She's also, also supposed to cover her hair, not with a wig. The way of the kosher, the most kosher way, very, so why we don't do it? We're lucky that we have the power of the chazal, of the sages, that they say that it's malbin pne chavero barabim, insulting her in front of everyone. Everyone knows about her. That she, in the old days, it was a death sentence. If a woman made a scene in hidden rooms, 
And now she's afraid of Hashem, she made tshuva, she covered her hair. Everyone will say, what? You're 17, you're not married and you walk with the hair cover? It will be the end of her. Nobody will ever marry her. It will be like that sentence. So the Chachamim, with the power that God gave them, say that she can still go on with her hair like this. But really the truth is that she was supposed to already cover her hair. Because the man that she was with him, with him in certain ways, like her husband already. Her husband in Hebrew means boel, ba'ala, bo'ala. So person who was with her first, that's it. She has a link to him forever. But women don't know it, and they allow themselves to make a lot of mistakes, and later they suffer, and they don't understand why. If you're a widow? You have to be It's a widow. Everyone knows she was married. It's not a sin. There's no insult here, no embarrassment. Why, why you cover your hair? My husband died. So that's not, not you made a scene, but if you're 16, 17, you've never been married and you cover your hair, everyone knows you did an act of prostitution. It's a big embarrassment. To save the embarrassment from the girls like this, so they allow to continue. Even though Hashem said to cover the hair, but Hashem gave the Chachamim the power. Otherwise, we'll be in a very serious problem. Very serious problem, because, well, maybe it wouldn't be a problem. Maybe the girls would know that once I do it, I, I must cover my hair. She would think a million times before she makes a scene. I don't know. So, the Gemara continue. The Gemara says, even a person speak about the, the guy and the girl that getting married tonight. Look how they're excited, they're going to go and they're going to do this and that. He speaks about what everybody thinks. And what? Even he is now 70 years old, was righteous all his life. And if he died before he said what he said, he was 100% in a good place. Everything turns around. A person can learn Torah 70 years and build a huge, gigantic level of holiness. And then one cares. And he lost all the holiness. He didn't lose the mitzvah of learning. The learning is yours. That's it. Whatever you learn goes already to your olam haba. But the holiness that you build, it's all gone. Why? One cares. One dirty word. Thoughts of the sin is worse than the actual sin. Why? Because the sin takes 10 minutes. The thought may take 10 days, 10 months, who knows, there's no end to it. The, the scene, a person makes the scene and it's over, that's it. The next day he doesn't remember it anymore. But when he's thinking about making the scene, it will never end. To'avat Hashem Dirty thoughts that a person has on the ladies, it's despicable in the eyes of God. And... Just that you know, everything that is despicable in the eyes of God before the marriage, it's holy after the marriage. You think about your wife, no problem. You are with your wife, enjoy as much as you want. It's not a sin like the Christian think. Oh, to be together with a woman, it's very dirty. The priest has to be holy, to die lonely. God said first mitzvah in the Torah, a man and a woman to get married and have children. They know better than God. 
No, no, you have to be holy. Don't look at a woman. Don't touch a woman. What is this nonsense? You're allowed to enjoy from the woman as much as you want. But if she's yours, she's someone else, don't look. It's not yours. The world has order. Then the third category, after stealing and sex crimes, as I mentioned already, the third one is what comes into your mouth. Food, kosher food. Slaughtering right away what kind of fish, kosher, not good, what birds, chicken, good, not good. The slaughtering went well. They cleaned the blood, worms, flies, mosquitoes, stuck in the leathers between the leathers, all kinds of problems. Wine, who made it? A goy touch it, Michalel Shabbat touch it. You're drinking it, it contaminates your soul. Spiritual problem here. Food, it's physical, but it creates an immediate spiritual impact on the life of a person. I'll give you an example before I go on. We have a very interesting thing in our seminars. I said it a few times in the past, or maybe you heard it before. When we go to a seminar, usually it's two and a half days, sometimes three and a half days. Start uh, sometimes from Thursday to Sunday, sometimes Friday morning to Sunday. So in the first day of the seminar, there are many anti-religion comments. People are against. Some of them don't even want to come in to hear the lectures. They're outside in the lobby with their laptop. Nobody cares. Go in to smoke Shabbat, not Shabbat. They're secular. They don't care. Second day, there is a little bit their poison comments. It's not as bad. By Sunday, everyone is a rebbe. Dancing with the rabbis, pulling tzitzit. What's, what's going on? Even the one who did not participate 20 minutes in the, in the entire lectures was out all the time with the baby or with his cigarettes or with his foolish computer. <laughs> didn't hear anything. How all of a sudden he became religious? Already dancing with the rabbis, with the beard. Two days ago I was allergic to him. The rabbi touched him by mistake. He goes to the mikveh. All of a sudden, he danced with him. What happened? When he came to the seminar, he was loaded with contaminated blood from the shrimps he eat, from the pork he eats, from the chicken that is not kosher, from the meat that is not kosher, from the lettuce that is not washed, from millions of worms that he eats every week. The blood is 100% impure. It goes into the brain, and that's where the soul is, and cannot see the truth ever in his life, spiritually. Can never. Can learn math, can be a genius. Can be a genius in medicine, can be a genius in law, in computers. In Torah, he never see the truth. Everything looks the opposite for him. So, of course he hates. But now he comes to the hotel, he begins to eat glad kosher. Friday afternoon, then Friday night, then Shabbat morning, then slowly, slowly, the blood is different blood. Then by Saturday night, already most of the blood is pure now. By Sunday, the entire blood change in the body. It's a whole new thing now. Now he has kosher blood. <laughs> he already loved the rabbis. When, when is the next lecture? If you don't believe me, Look at my last lecture. Look at the list from a month ago in the Hebrew seminars that we had. That was Saturday night. It started 8 o'clock, finished 11.30. 
By the end of that lecture, every person of the seminar put tzitzit and every woman covered her hair. And they all accepted to keep Shabbat. And more than half of them did not come to any lecture up to that lecture. They were outside the entire Friday and Shabbat day. But all we did is tell them, you don't want to come to the lecture, there's nothing we can do. But at least tonight at 8 o'clock with the computer, with the screen, just this lecture don't miss. We make such propaganda on that lecture, they were curious to see why, why are they talking about it so much. They came in, and today they're religious with a combination of changing the blood. You should know that in Israel you have a bank of blood for people who have tragedies, accidents. They need blood uh, transfusion of Shomrei Shabbat only. Only Jews who Shomer Shabbat and eat kosher. Not from Goim, not from secular Jews. No matter what, God forbid a person needs, right away he has this thing on him, bank of blood, only of Shomer Shabbat, donors. donors. Why? It's very important. I one time read an article that a person, a Jew, got blood of a black man from Harlem. He came, it was his friend from, from, from the work, and he donated blood for him, and he, they gave him the entire blood of this man, and after that day, he said in an interview, that before the accident, he couldn't stand black music, and he couldn't stand McDonald. And now all he does is hear B.B. King, the blues, black music, and all days in McDonald and uh, Rogers, what's the other guy's name? All day it's things that the black people like to eat. Wow. <laughs> the, blood is, the blood is a spiritual thing, it's not a joke. It's affecting a person. That's why Jews are not allowed to eat the blood of certain animals. All the animals that are murderers, it's not kosher. A guy can eat a leopard, can eat a crocodile, can eat anything he wants, a horse, whatever. A Jew is not allowed. A Jew is only allowed to eat animals that are surrender to the murderers, not the murderers themselves. And also, even these animals, you gotta get rid of the blood by putting tons of salt after you slaughter them. Make sure you don't eat any blood of animals. It won't make you a murderer, a blood of a sheep, but it'll make you something else, an animal. But not a murderer. But you eat the blood of the tiger. I heard that they give a cobra blood to the soldier now. Marines. Yeah. You have to drink a glass of special whiskey. The blood of the cobra snake. You know what they don't know, these fools, that the Gemara says, there are certain animals that from the moment they are born, they muad leolam. The leopard, the lion, the, all these animals that are attacking, they are muad leolam. What does it mean muad? They don't need to attack three times to change their status, like the ox. An ox is normally quiet and never attack, usually. Once in a while, there's a crazy ox. Something made him crazy, I don't know. He lost, maybe his stock went down that morning. I don't know what happened. So he got angry and he attacked some cow. But normally it's normal, this cow, this ox. But the leopard, the lion, they're always murderers. So they are muad leolam. So the Gemara said, what happened if you train them, like in a circus? You train them, you come, you have a big lion, 
You come to the lion, he stands like this. You go like this, he comes on the floor. The question is, are if one of them attacked, you have to pay full damage or half a damage? If it's already considered like record, then you're going to pay full damage. But if it's an innocent, you only have to pay half a damage. It could be millions of dollars different sometimes. So the question is, there's a big argument. You have to pay full damage, half a damage. If training a leopard or a lion is considering changing their nature. You know, in a circus, uh, there was a lion a year ago, that guy that for 20 years is with his best friend, the lion. He put his head inside his head and everyone clapped. Did you hear what happened a year ago? He ripped him apart. He was that close to, from dying. After 20 years, he feed him, hug him, kiss him, everyone clapping. Maybe the lion wants to retire already. <laughs> he got tired of all this clapping. He, he beat him on his neck. He, I don't know how they saved him. I think he's paralyzed or something. Yeah. So that's the answer to the Gemara. You don't have a Muna in them. But the snake, everyone in the Talmud agree. No matter how much you train him, is always the source and the symbol of evilness. You don't deal with him no matter what. The, the worst one out of everyone. You understand? So why they make them drink the blood of the snake? <laughs> then you wonder why they're going to murder and do all kinds of other things. Hashem irachem. So let's continue. So the Gemara says, what other things makes the soul of a person impure, not clean? One is eating wrong mix mixture, kosher and non-kosher mix. Most of the ingredients are kosher, flour, kosher, salt, kosher, sugar, kosher. All of a sudden, they put one little one thing, one ingredient inside, like wine, some of it, wh white wine, or wine vinegar. But it's yain of the goyim, yain nesech, contaminate the soul. You're eating a cookie. What wine, Rabbi? I'll never dare a wine from a hand of a goy or mechalel Shabbat. I know it's not allowed, but it's in the ingredients. It makes it completely not kosher. So everything, all the juices, sometimes you buy pineapple juice. Check inside, you see grape juice. So they're mixing it with grape juice. You can never get kashrut. The orange juice is kosher. The pineapple orange is not kosher. Why? It's mixed with grape juice. Cannot get kashrut. Too complicated to see if they go touch it, not touch it. If they cook it before, ooh, too much headache. So this is just to show you how you can eat something that is critical for you without even realizing. Blood, worms, flies, milk, that is not Chalav Israel. The Goim used to mix the milk with donkey milk. Why? It's a, it's a good preservative. Instead of three days, it's going to last 10 days. Now remember, today we have refrigerators, so there's no incentive to cheat. What do you need to bring camel or or dunking milk, what do you gain by that? Sometimes it's more headache. So the chance today that they'll mix a cow milk with something else is one to thousands. But in the old days, the Arab is selling now from his cows. Moshe, the Jew, come with a bucket, give me three liters of milk. He say, okay, as soon as Moshe turns around, he takes a little bit from the donkey, he mix it. Now he has great reputation. The milk of Mustafa staying for 10 days. Nobody knows the trick. 
So that's why you need a mashgiach to watch him all the time. You want to sell milk? You want it to be kosher? No problem. Let the rabbi watch you all the time. Today they have cameras. Some say it's just as good as supervision. Rav Moshe Feinstein is a very big chacham that lived here in America. He said that today, even without cameras and without a rabbi present at the place, in some scenario it's kosher. Why? Because the penalties that the government would give a company that mix the milk without telling their customers with another kind of milk, it's so big that will crush them in a stock market. Or the entire business will go, they'll go all out of business in a week. If one reporter will find out that inside this milk there was another animal's milk. So the chance that they'll mix another milk that it's not kosher with this is very, very rare if ever. So based on that, he allowed his community to eat. But just to show you certain things about kashrut. Then the Ramchal continue, it says like this. The forbidden food, the non-kosher food, makes the heart of a person impure until the holiness that he had inside of him disappeared completely, slowly, slowly from his, from his body, from his life. And he forgot about God completely. And this is what the Gemara in Yoma Masechet Yoma, page 39, the Gemara says, V'nitmetem ba'am al tikra v'nitmetem ela v'nitamtem. Because that sin of eating non-kosher food makes the person a fool, spiritually. He can be the best mathematician in the world. It won't affect him. He's a computer genius. It won't affect him. He's a good doctor. It won't affect him. It will only affect him when he comes to put filin, three hours he debates with his mind. Should I do it? Not, ah, not today. Oh, what does it give me? Ah, okay, forget about it. Where this comes from? Eating all this food contaminates your soul. The people who doesn't believe it do a one-week trial. One week, eat strictly kosher food and you see how your life changes. One week, give it a chance. Right away, you see how everything looks much easier than before. Why it looks so hard now? Because your blood is impure and it goes to the brain and that's where the soul is and the whole system is not working. When I was in the army, I was in the Air Force where the F-16 somewhere under the ground. So we used to put gas, to, one of the things we used to do is put gas in the planes and all that. And there were tractors who bring the missiles from the bunkers to put on a plane before they go. You know, some training, some real action. So the tractor drives 10 miles an hour. That's it. It's set now, because they don't want a tractor who drives fast. You, you, you're bringing bombs and missiles. It's very dangerous. If they fall, it's $100,000 each piece. So they make the tractor drive 10 miles an hour. Now soldiers who wants to finish the job and go already to rest five minutes after a hard day, from four in the morning, it's already four or five in the afternoon. The last fly, I want to just get rid of everything, finish, and I can go rest. So until the tractor move all the way from the bunker, it takes forever. So what they used to do? They used to put airplane gasoline inside the tractor. It's 100% gasoline, nothing mixed. The tractor went 20 miles an hour. It was much faster. 
you say five minutes here, five minutes there, it adds up to an hour a day. But every two months, the engine of the tractor went dead. I always remember this until they made an investigation and they found a few soldiers who did that. They went to jail, and that was the end of it. But the same thing is eating non-kosher, drinking non-kosher. Yeah, in the meantime, you run. Sometimes even stronger. So the Russian who eats pig all days and all night, how strong they are? But spiritually, spiritually, it's affecting a person. I once, someone sent me an email, some priest who spoke to 5,000 people, like me, 5,000 people, and he said to them, ladies and gentlemen, let's use our common sense. The priest said to his congregation, if God say to the Jews in the Torah that they should not touch this animal called the pig, what do we have to understand from it? That it's good for us or not? Of course not. <laughs> How do we eat pig, he said. One normal priest finally has some common sense. If God said to the Jews, don't touch this filthy animal, the Muslims got it. They don't touch it. Why don't we understand? What's the reason, by the way, that you're not allowed to eat pig? The answer is because God says so. But let's try to find some common sense in it. What is it? Every animal that eats digests the food in four hours. Any animal. Whatever they eat, four hours, it's digested. A person, six hours. That's why we have to wait six hours once we eat meat. We have to wait six hours until we can eat dairy. Because you're not allowed to mix meat and dairy in the stomach, in the mouth. So six hours, it's a whole you know, new, new process now. So animals, four hours, except one animal. The pig, it takes 24 hours. And the pig eats the bathroom. You take your baby's diaper, you put it in the garbage, he eats it. He eats everything. He eats rats, he eats cats, he eats grass, he eats garbage, he eats screws, whatever you throw there, he eats. All the poison in his stomach, when you kill him by shooting him or by stabbing him or electrocuting him like they do today, he is marinated with 24, it takes a day or two until finally he comes to Costco, it takes a week. You know, until they take the skin off, they cut this, that. They don't put salt, they don't do anything. So for hours after he got electrocuted or got shot, he has a lot of urine and all the diapers that he swallowed for breakfast, and what he ate last night, everything is absorbed into the meat. And then Vini and Christine sitting in a fancy Italian restaurant, barbecue pork ribs, this, that, oh, delicious. Sure it's delicious, it's marinated with my baby's diapers. It smells horrible when they cook it, it smells horrible. Baruch Hashem, I never smelled it, hopefully I never see it. <laughs> Anyway, that's really one of the reasons. There are other reasons, but let's move on. So, uh, it contaminates the soul, contaminates the purity of a person. Let's make sure we never repeat that mistake ever again. Now the Ramchal say, let's talk about common sins that occurred in society. When you come to meet your friends, when you are alone, you will never make that sin. Unless if you're crazy. But if you're normal, you only make that sins in partnership with others. What are they? 
insulting someone. You need someone to insult. What, are you going to talk to the wall? So you need someone. You have someone, you can come to that scene. Giving the wrong advice. Looking at not modest girls. Talking Lashonara, gossip together. Revenge. Hate. Swearing. Making a vow. False. Lying. Chilul Hashem. Disgracing the name of God. Those things are only can happen when you are with one or a group of people. If you're, if you're isolated in a room, you're locked there. You can never make that scene. You can't hate someone that you don't see right now. You, you, you see him, he gets you angry now. Oh, here is my enemy coming. What is he doing here? Begin to boil. Or speaking to Lashonara. If you speak to the word Lashonara, it's no problem. You know, Hashem understand. But you talk to someone, it's a big problem. So those are the ones who a person not always paying attention because together it's much easier to fall into the scene. Everyone is doing it. Rabbi, I wasn't the only one. Same thing the kids. Usually they don't do drugs on their own. It's only when they gather together, all the fools, 16, 17s, one has the bad idea, and everyone feels good because everyone is together, and they get the strength, one from another, to destroy their life. You understand? But if he's alone, he's thinking a hundred times before. Things that are happening together, social pressure, is making a person make a lot of mistakes. But a clever person never lets social environment or problems affecting him ever. The opposite. He cut himself out of these losers. If a person made tshuva, became religious, you're not allowed to remind him his past. Look at this guy, became a rabbi. Remember how he used to dance on the stage in a club in Manhattan until four in the morning. Now he pretend he's a rabbi, grew a beard. Not allowed to say it. But are you allowed to say it about yourself? Not also. Not allowed. Person not allowed to speak Lashon Arai about himself also. So, not allowed. And uh, not allowed to tell him, remember how you used to do this and this and that? Not allowed, especially not in front of people. If a person is sick, you're not allowed to tell him, oh, you know why? Because you're doing this and this, you deserve it. Or to tell your wife, you see, I told you that's what's going to be his end. Not allowed to talk like this, because first of all, you don't know what God punishing him for. You don't know. It could be something he did 10 years ago, before he even met you. It could be something from his previous life. What, you now Moshe Rabbeinu? You're guessing what God gave him because of what he deserved? Come on. And besides, it's not good, because sometimes you make his situation worse by opening your mouth. It's called Poteach Pela Satan. And the Gemara say, Gadol onaat varim meonaat mamon. Making a Jew suffer because he stole his money is a very big sin. It's like stealing his soul, we said. But making him suffer because of words are worse than because of money. Words are hurting a person more than stealing from him. Stole from someone 50 bucks, it hurts him. He worked a few hours for it, but he can recover fast. But if you're insulting him in front of people and telling him bad things, he may take years. He'll never forget it. So words are bigger killers than money. Amalbin pnei chavero barabim. 
Someone who insults another person in public, lost his share to the world to come. Do you understand the amount of punishment compared to the one-minute sin? You attack someone in public, you made a joke on him, you, who knows what you did, out of stupidity, and you, God forbid, put yourself in a worse category. continue to be effective and the worst out of everything. Everything that God does to punish a person is through a messenger. But if it's deceiving on saying bad words and, and hurting people with your mouth, direct punishment from God himself. Which means, what does it mean by a messenger? Your neighbor, a policeman, a lawyer, uh, some guy that robbed you, someone who beat you up in the middle of a game, accident. It's all a messenger. It's everything through somebody. But this direct. What does it mean direct? Hard attack. Boom. No messenger. Things like this. Another sin. Do not set a, a trap in front of a blind person. It's not literally. Of course it's literally. If a blind person walks like this in the street and you come and put your leg and make him fall, you need the Torah for it to say that it's a bad thing to do. In Zimbabwe, they also know it's not allowed. Without Torah, <laughs> you know, every normal person knows. But what does it mean here? A person is not good in real estate. So you're a broker. So you come to his house, you want to sign him up on exclusive, whatever. So you begin to, to trick him. Oh, you know, I heard that the, the, the value of the houses in the neighborhood, next month they're going to vote, it's going to go down. You better hurry up, sign, I'm going to sell it, I have a customer, this, that. And this old man, what does he know? He believes you. And that's a big, big scene, very big scene. Or a per, you are a, let's say you are a mechanic. And a person comes to you and he say to him, you know, this, uh, I give you an example by me. One time, I, many years ago, I bought a Toyota, Toyota Avalon. And uh, I was a few years old, the car. And it's, I saw after a few days that it smokes a lot. Every time you start the car, it smokes the entire neighborhood. I take, the, take it to check, and what happened? They said the engine is finished. You gotta replace the engine. How much? $7,000. It eats oil like crazy. Every day you have to pull one quart of oil, every day. <laughs> so what, $7,000 a car you just bought? Okay, let's put oil every day. $3, $3, every day. Until we see what's gonna be. To sell it to another person, not allowed. Not find someone in the auction and sell it to him. You got the, the problem. Someone did something wrong, and you got it. So I'm thinking to myself, I went to the dealer, Toyota dealer, no, $7,000 plus tax to fix. Few weeks later, a miracle happened. I get a letter from Toyota company, dear Toyota owner, there's a recall on the engine. Uh, we have a record that you inquire about that problem. As, uh, I don't, of course, they don't admit that they messed up. Out of courtesy, we will fix your car for free. Take it to the dealer with this reference number. Uh, very good, Baruch Hashem. I go to the dealer. As they open the car, 
one of them comes to me and says, listen, sir, now when your engine is open, we very recommend that you put the timing belt. Change the timing belt. So what is the timing belt? Explain to me. It's a belt with the teeth. It's moving. I say, it's not, it's not bad yet, but within a few months, since this, it's after a few years it happens, it will happen. And then it will cost you thousands of dollars to reopen the engine and do it. Now the engine is already open. You might as well replace it. It's all baloney. Could have gone 20 more years. It's all lies. But they, they take advantage on your ignorance. You don't know mechanism. What do you know? So, okay, so put it on. How much? $1,200. So besides of taking 7000 from the dealer, they push to the customer extra. They're greedy. They don't know that in hell, this $1,200 would cost them a lot more than what they made. They don't know, but they'll find out. So what happened? This is called They're tricking people, taking advantage on the ignorance. Or a customer comes to you, he wants to sell you a diamond, and you look at the diamond and you see that it's a color diamond. Color diamond. If it's a Jew, it's your brother, you're not allowed to trick him. How much is this? Okay, it's a two carat. I'll give you $10,000 for the stone. But it's really worth 100000 because it's a special blue diamond. But a professional knows that it's a color diamond. Somebody that looks at that doesn't know. So there are many people who make money like this. That's called ifnei verloti ten michshol. Sell, sell it. Soon the prices will go down. It's good. All kinds of bad advice. It can be millions of examples. It falls into this category ifnei verloti ten michshol. And there's another scene. Arur mashge iver baderech. Someone who tricks people and push them to the wrong direction in life is cursed like the snake. What God said to the snake after he made Adam and Eve eat from the tree? Arur ata. God cursed him to be Arur. Arur is the worst curse in the Torah. Someone who tricks people and gives them the wrong advice, it's called Arur in the, in the, in the eyes of God. Yes. You're supposed to make a profit by offering something, but the customer knows what he sells, not tricking, you, tricking him by not telling him the truth. No, I tell you what, I bring you a car that's worth $10,000, and you are a dealer. You ha obviously, me and, I, and you understand that you have to make some profit. Mm -hmm. So you tell me, okay, I'll give you 8000 for the car. You're not tricking me. You're not lying to me. I know the car worth 10. I'm in a rush to sell. I agree. I, 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 you give me a, I take the car. But if my car is a special item collection, I don't know. I didn't know that he was, or Obama used to own it. And all of a sudden, you look at the V number. Oh, wow, that's the car that everyone used to talk about. This guy doesn't know. Take advantage on me. I'll give you an example. Two neighbors. This is a real story. One neighborhood old records of Beethoven, Mozart, all kinds of special classical music from eight years ago, from the time that before records. It was very old records. And you know, once they invented CDs, he took all the records and put them by the garbage outside. And then the neighbor walked by and he saw a huge pile of records in Israel. Wow, it's very old, 40 years ago, 50 years ago. Gee, it's probably worth a lot. So he took everything from the garbage. 
In the meantime, their kids are playing together. So one, the kid told him, my father took out all the, the, the records that your father threw. So this guy thought, why my neighbor, the businessman, picked up records from the garbage that for me wasn't worth a dollar? So he went to start asking questions. They told him, wow, each one worth fortune. It's collector items. There's nowhere to get it. It's worth fortune. Like, just like in America, baseball cards. Some of them worth a lot. Nobody knows. If you don't know, <laughs> a piece of picture of, a, of some player, who would ever believe it cost thousands of dollars, right? So what happened? He sued him to Bedin to return the record. The guy said, what did I do? I stole? I took from the garbage. It's healthcare. Person puts in the garbage, everyone is allowed to take. You don't need permission. So it's the other one say, yeah, I put it in the garbage because I, didn't, I wasn't aware of the real value. It was an innocent mistake. So the other guy said, but what do you want from me? I didn't mislead you. It's not that you ask me if it's worth something and I told you, no, then you come to me. But I picked it up from the garbage. Who is right? Who is right? The one guy picked it up as well. No. Did I pick it up as well? Everyone agree with him? The owner. He had to return him all the records. Yeah. Yes, because a Jew is not allowed to enjoy from another Jew mistake if it causes him pain. You have to correct his mistake. He's your brother. If it was, wasn't a Jew, you're allowed. If a guy made mistake, you don't have an obligation to run and correct his mistake. But you're not allowed to steal from him. You're not allowed to trick him. You're not allowed to give him false information. You're not allowed to confuse him. You're not allowed to deceive him. You're not allowed any kinds of actions against the guy. You're not allowed. And some of them is even worse than to do it to a Jew. Worse punishment. But if the goy by himself made mistake, and you benefit from that mistake, then you got away with that. But the recommendation in the halacha is to give it back to a goy, and to not to take advantage on his mistake, and to earn one of the biggest rewards from God, which call kiddush Hashem, that the goy would say. Look at this Jew, I can't believe I made a mistake. I gave him an extra hundred dollar in the register. He went already to his car and he came back 10 minutes later and gave it back to me. And he see him with a yamaka. If he doesn't have a yamaka, he didn't earn anything. It's no kiddush Hashem. <laughs> thought it's Vini. Looks like Vini, it's Vini. That's why I always tell people, I always tell people, when you finally return, make sure you put either a yamaka. So one, one of them said, but I'm a woman. I said, you have a Star David necklace? Yeah, put it on. Make sure that, you know, when you come, they'll see that you're a Jew. Why? At least they're going to say, wow, look at this. And if you don't have, make sure you tell the person, listen, you know, you made a mistake. I know I could have got away with that, but the Torah said that it's a, it's a great thing to return. And I did it because I'm religious. Oh, so the goy thing, psh, what a nation. I'll tell you a story that happened. In Morocco, there was one of the rabbis in Morocco, and there was two friends, two friends, two, one Jew and one Muslim. In Morocco, the Jews and the Muslims live in harmony compared to the rest of the Middle East. They live together nicely. There was a chazan, Chaim Luke, that was singing by the king's parties, by the princess. Amash, the, 
they exchange real estate, um, a, a, a babysitter between neighbors. If they went to a wedding, so the Muslim neighbor watched the kids or the other way around, it was pretty fine because they're not fanatic crazy over there. So they accepted the Jews almost equal rights. So what happened? There were two friends. And one Muslim went to Saudi Arabia for the Ramadan. And he had a lot of cash by him. And he gave it to his Jewish friend from the shul. You see, he has yamaka. He thought, who am I going to give the money that I can trust? This is a friend of mine, plus he's religious. I trust him. So he gave him all the money. <laughs> and he told him, if I don't come back in a year, that means something happened to me. That was many years ago, before there was cars. Many, many this story is very old. So if I don't come, it means somebody killed me on the way with my camel. It's a lot of dangers. Then you can keep the money for yourself. I don't have children. If I come within a year, you give me back the money. OK, shook hands. Allah ma'ak, Hashem will be with you. Goodbye. Then after a few months, the Jew already saw that this Saeed doesn't come back. And he started to make plans on his money. Oh, bismillah. <laughs> Maybe the wolves guide them all the way. Already, Mamash, close to 12 months, he showed up. Now he already had so many plans on the money that the disappointment was so bad that he did not pass his test. When the Muslim came to him and said, well, where's my money? He said, what money? The money I gave you. Now, you know, there's no witnesses. It was all in cash. So you, well, you made a mistake. You didn't give it to me. Well, I know you. I hardly know you. What? Are you going to do such a thing? It's all my life saving. Started with a lie. You can't come out of the lie. So the Muslim told him, well, go to your rabbi. I want to go to your bedin, to your rabbi. So he said, okay, let's go to the rabbi. So they come to the rabbi. This Moroccan rabbi in a bed din. I have the names written down, but it's been years since I told that story, so I forgot about it. So we come to the rabbis, and then we see that the Muslim is all shaking, and the Jew is calm. So he said to him, to, to the Muslim, you have a note that he signed? He said, no. You have witnesses that you gave him the cash? He said, no, I trusted him. Friends for many years. Rabbi say, you know that if you don't show me any kind of evidence, how am I gonna, what am I going to do? I can't do, go by your tears. I have to see some evidence. He said, but I don't have evidence. So he said to the Muslim, OK, go outside for 10 minutes. I want to talk to the Jew by myself. So he came out. So the rabbi was a genius. So he came to the Jew. He said, brother, you're a genius. <laughs> It's a mitzvah to kill these Muslims, to give it to them. Wow, I'm so proud of you. But I, you know, I, I had to send him out. I don't want him to know that I'm on your side. Tell me, tell me, how much you got from him? How much? He said, have I 40,000 coins of gold? Kill him. Police, come in. Two story. Grab him, put him in jail. Put notes all over town. He's not allowed to enter any synagogue. No one is allowed to do any business with him. No one is allowed to enter his store. Finished. <clears throat> and make sure you go into his house, find the money, and give it to this Muslim. And the Muslim, the Muslim took hundreds of loaves of bread from the Jewish bakery and buckets of butter, and he called all 
the poor people of Morocco, I think it was in Marrakesh, all the poor people, and he made an announcement. I make this party for the honor of the rabbi and the holy Torah and the holy rabbi and the Bedin. And uh, this is, you know, he gave such a speech. It was such a big kiddush Hashem. Big kiddush Hashem. Oh, I remember now his name. His name, Rabbi Zerian. There's many Moroccans with his last name. Maybe there is children. Zarihan with hey. So that's how the story ended. Why? The rabbi knows what God said. We don't go by our feelings. And even if the Muslim was a murderer, still not allowed to steal from him. It's not, oh, no, he's allowed. He, he, he donates to the Hamas. You're allowed. You're allowed to steal from him. No. He comes to kill you, you're allowed to kill him, yeah. You're allowed to protect yourself. But just to go to his house to steal, just because he's a supporter of the Hezbollah, they allowed everything. Oh, mitzvah, steal from the Jew, do burn their homes, mitzvah, everything. Why? Because they don't have Torah, they don't have the truth. They all go by what they want to say. Well, we cannot move an inch from the Torah. We cannot move an inch from the truth. Time is running out in five minutes. Let me just finish this page. So. When a person asks you for advice, you must give him the advice that is good for him, not for you. Not for you. One time I used to be in a yeshiva, and the rabbi over there, we had one guy that he used to be religious when he was a kid, until age 18 he was religious. Then he went to the army, and of course everyone goes to the army, comes out not religious, almost everyone. The army destroys you spiritually. So after the army, he became not religious, Age 25, he came to America after being five or six years not religious. Then he came to our yeshiva in Monsi, and right away he made tshuva, but he had 18 years of knowledge, because he learned in yeshiva, and he's a very smart man. Today is one of the most important rabbis in Israel. So what, yeah, he answered on television, on the radio, he's sitting next to Rabbi Amnon Yitzchak on the stage, very important rabbi he became, because he had many years of learning. So what happened is, he was teaching in yeshiva, and he wasn't married, so he wasn't getting paid. Only the married people get paid. The single one, they eat for free, they sleep for free, but they don't get paid. So it was very good for the rabbi over there, that he teach for him all day for free. He has a, instead of giving him $2,000, he's teaching for free. One time he decided to move back to Israel to go to a higher level yeshiva, like the top of the yeshivot. So he didn't let him. So the rabbi, he doesn't want to lose him. So he told him, no, it's not good for you to go to Israel. It's not good for you. So I came to him. I said, don't listen to him. Don't listen to him. He doesn't give you the right advice. He gives you an advice that is good for him, not for you. For you, you don't belong here. You're already in a very high level of Torah. You got to go to Israel and go to the highest place. Hashem, you listen to me. One of the most important rabbis in Israel. So imagine he wouldn't listen. Stay another four or five years. Staying in the same level. It's Yeshiva for Baal Tshuva. It doesn't belong there. Accidentally, he's considered a Baal Tshuva. He learned until age 18, Gemara, 10, 12 hours a day. A very high level. Then he went to the army, and that's what happened to him. So it, it, all he needed is the Yeshiva to get him back on the right track. Then he has to move. Somebody is a professor in college, and then one year he took off. You don't put him in pre-1A to start again, first grade, second grade. He said, oh, you used to be a professor. So that's called, you got to give him the advice that is good for them, even though it's not for you.
Sometimes a person that gives you money, donates to you, he comes to cry to you about the financial problems he has. Now, if you give him the right advice, right away he'll stop donating money to your yeshiva. So sometimes it's big yetzerara, your yeshiva, you need the money, so you don't give him the exact advice. You've got to be very careful. You have to tell him what's good for him, and then you pray to Hashem to find somebody to replace him. And for sure it will happen. If you trust Hashem, it will happen. You've got to give him the right advice. Why? Because if you think about what's good for you, it's, not, it's against the Torah. Somebody asks you for advice because you are an authority, you don't tell him what's good for you. Same thing by the doctors. It's very common by the doctors. They have friends, and they give referrals. And the patients come that need a certain a surgery or an operation. So a person that comes, he has a friend that gives him kickback. He gives him some money for every referral. But it's not good for these patients. He needs somebody much better that doesn't give you referral. So many of these murderer doctors, they don't care about the patients. They just care about another $2,000 they're going to get. So they send him to somebody, and then he dies. And it's considered 100% their murder. Because you are here to give the right advice in medicine. If you are a legal attorney, you have to give the right advice for the person, not for you. You understand? And many other examples like this. By rabbis, is more comments, because much more people ask them for advice than professionals that take care of five, six people a day, maximum. Rabbi can have 50, 100 people a day, one phone after the other. It's very, very tricky. You have to have strong emuna and to know always to give the person the right advice. You know, I tell you something very interesting. Remember I told you the story, I was in Englewood, one of the rabbis there told me the story about the gold with Mexico, million, two and a half million. Same rabbi told me another story. He went one time to Florida, and he met a man, a Jewish man, that is not married, 60 years old, worth $400 billion. That's what the man admitted to him. The man owned half of Miami Beach, island, buildings, stores, very wealthy person, no wife, no children. Then he saw that he knows some... Uh, a woman over there, and he said to the woman, why don't you get married? You're friends already, no? So I said, yeah, you know, this, that. So then in the end, he came to the woman, and he said to her, mitzvah, mitzvah. She said, mitzvah, marry him. Convince him to get married. Maybe you, you'll have some children. She said to him, what is mitzvah, mitzvah? You keep saying this word, mitzvah. So he realized that she's not Jewish. She's not Jewish. So once he realized she's not Jewish, he came to this man who gives him a lot of money to the poor people every month, a lot of money. And he came to him and started to tell him, what's going on with you? You don't know that you're not allowed to marry a non-Jew? You'd live with her like a husband and wife? It's fine, you didn't get married, but you're not allowed to, to live with her. No, this and that. As they're arguing, what did the Jew do? told the Goya that the rabbis can instigate against you. So she came and threw him out. She threw him out, and the rabbi called him after he left, please don't come to me anymore for donations. Forget you ever knew me. And, and all the money for the poor people are gone now. So now, this is an honest rabbi. Most rabbi wouldn't care. Let him die with the Goya, as long as he send me $20,000 every month. A lot of money. And he needs the money to feed the poor. But when he saw something against the Torah, and he knew there's a very big risk, she's in the house, he has to talk to him in another room, 
he knew there's a chance that he's going to get angry because these people don't understand the truth. They think it's personal. They don't understand it's not our choice to be the most righteous Gentile. We don't have permission. It's nothing against them. No, nobody asked me. My hands are tight. There's a boss to the world, and he made the rules. What do you want from us? We didn't make the. We didn't write the Torah. So this is what's happening. You understand? To give the right advice is not so simple. Because the other man is foolish. Instead of appreciating him, trying to help him, he used it against him. Because she brainwashed him. Why are you letting him come? He tells you to leave me. This and that, you understand? So th this is what's happening today. Believe me, all these things are happening all the time. Okay, we're done for today. Bezrat Hashem still didn't finish chapter 11. We're still in this, but Bezrat Hashem, next week we will finish it. And uh, uh, this series will go, we'll still go for a while, Bezrat Hashem. We, are, uh, we still have a lot of interesting subjects coming up in the next weeks. Baruch Adonai Amen Amen.